Father, it is immensely comforting to know that you are there and that you are uh, not almost in charge, but you are in charge. That really helps us. We don't sing how almost great is our God. We sing how great is our God. Uh, you're great. You're sovereign. Uh, you spoke the worlds and the stars into existence. You named them. You oversee them. You make sure that uh, we have our daily bread. Um, all the beasts of the field, they wait for you to give them their food and to give them their water. You sustain the earth. We don't worry about global warming because you run the earth. You run everything, all of it. You run it all. When it gets cold, you run it. When it gets hot, you're in charge. When there are hurricanes, you're in that too. When there are earthquakes, you're in that. Can a calamity come upon a city, the prophet Amos said, unless the Lord sends it? Sometimes we're just kind of taken back at how the scriptures proclaim your greatness and your power and your sovereignty. Uh, you rule over everything. We're the creatures. And uh, a lot of times, as men, we wish that we were running the show. We like to be in charge. We like to make our plans, and we like to uh, set our goals and objectives, and we like everything to work. But it doesn't always go according to our plan. And we get frustrated, and sometimes we don't understand, and it makes absolutely no sense to us. In fact, at times, it seems like you're actually working against us. And we don't get that. But the longer we walk with you, the longer we've had to see your grace at work. And the more we've come to realize that, indeed, your ways are not our ways, you just don't do it the way that we would think that you would. You're so creative. Uh, you, you, take, uh, you take failure and you turn it into success. You uh, take us at our lowest moments and you resurrect us. You take hopeless situations and turn them for your glory and for our good. We're coming tonight uh, with different needs. I mentioned Jeff and uh, his, his difficulty, his trial, and it's been this way for a number of years, is this chronic pain. And uh, he's been doing so well. This last year, he's, he's just, he, he's, he's really had a, a good streak. Been able to go to Russia a couple times and Pakistan and really had some ministry that uh, was effective. And, and now this, and he had to cancel the Russian trip to meet with all those pastors, and that was disappointing. Looks like he's going to be down for several months, and he's going to be fighting this pain. So we would pray for Jeff. We pray that you'd encourage his heart. We pray that you'd touch his body. It's a bitter pill to swallow, quite frankly. But Lord, you're in it, and you're around it, and you're overseeing his life. Do your good work in his life. There are guys here tonight that are perhaps not in physical pain, although there are guys that are in physical pain. There are guys that are in emotional pain, uh, relational pain. 
Guys going through the shock of a divorce. The wife who was left uh, never saw it coming. In a group of uh, this many guys, inevitably there's someone here who's in that circumstance. Sometimes, uh, Lord, uh, we're throwing a curveball. We, we didn't see it coming. It just stuns us and it shocks us. Other guys are just tired. They're just flat out tired because they've been dealing with a difficult situation for a long time. And they really perhaps thought that by now they would have been through it and they're not through it. And quite frankly, as they look out on the horizon, it looks like they're going to be in it for as far as they can see. So we pray that you will encourage them. Lord, these things drive us to you. They just drive us right back to you. These, these hardships and these trials that we read so much about in the Scripture. Uh, you're overseeing every one of them, and, and y- you know precisely what we need, and you know what is best for us, and, and you know our hearts. You know all the details of our lives, and you're a good father. You're a great father. You've never made a mistake. You've never made an error with any of us in this room. We get angry sometimes. We get upset sometimes because it doesn't add up. But the fact of the matter is, you are good and you are wise. And the whole world will declare that one day when we're in your presence because we'll see it. In the meantime, we ask that you would help us to trust you and to hold on to you. Those guys that are under incredible pressure, we pray that they would sense your presence and the scriptures would be very real to them and the promises would be very real to them. That you would let them know that you're with them and you know exactly what they're going through and there's a reason that they're going through it. And once you've accomplished that work, you will indeed bring them through it. We, we know these things because we look into the scriptures. We're thankful that you have given them to us. So we pray tonight that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from thy law. And we would pray these things in the name that is above every name. Every name. And because the name of Jesus is above every name, that means that one day every knee will bow. Buddha will bow. Confucius will bow. Muhammad will bow. We bow now. Even though we're sitting, we bow in our hearts. In his name we pray. Amen. We're in the book of James, and we're in chapter 1, but tonight we're about to turn the corner. We're not quite going to turn it, but we're about to turn the corner, because tonight we're in James chapter 1, verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12 is kind of a pivot verse, uh, because what's going to happen is he's wrapping up the discussion that began right out of the blocks in James, and he's going to transition to another issue. Uh, The opening verses of James chapter 1 are about trials. But starting with James 1 verse 12, he's wrapping up trials, and he's transitioning into the next issue, which is in the book of James, which is the issue of temptation. Now, we deal with temptation as men, and we fight it every day. But before we get to temptation... I want to wrap up our whole discussion on trials. And we've been talking about trials for, I don't know, five sessions, six sessions, ever since we started this thing. We've been talking about trials. 
And some of you guys are thinking at the rate you're going, we'll, we'll be through James in 2012. Uh, we're not going to take that long. I'm just taking time in the early stages of James on trials because, quite frankly, that's where most of us are. Most of us are in trials that we don't want to be in. Most of us are under pressure that we wish we could get out from under. Uh, Most of us are in situations that we wish that God would just fix and get it over with. But it's still there, and it's not going away. Uh, And so as a result, we have to fight off discouragement, and we have to fight off depression. And, uh, And a lot of times, you wake up in the morning... If, if you've been in this for quite a while, you wake up in the morning and uh, there's a cloud hanging over your head. I was talking with someone recently and we were talking about, maybe you remember this gentleman, Jeremiah Denton, who uh, was a senator from Alabama. But before he was a senator from Alabama, uh, he was a pilot, was in Vietnam, the plane was shot down, and he was seven and a half years in a prisoner of war camp. And basically uh, lived in a cell that was three feet by four feet. Uh, they'd let him out about an hour a day. Uh, other than that, he couldn't stand up. And he was in there for seven and a half years. When they let him out, they let him out so that they could beat him. So he really didn't want to get out. And that was his existence um, for about seven and a half years. And he dreaded every um, waking moment. And after they would beat him, they would take him back into his three-by-four cell, and he would say to himself, Lord, I can't go in there if you don't go in with me. Um, A grievous trial, grievous situation. Seven and a half years. Didn't know he was going to be there seven and a half years. Um... That's a long time to go through something like that. Uh, came home, he and his wife had five children. Uh, he, he was a man that uh, stood for uh, biblical values and um, was known as a man who was willing to stand alone. Uh, I'm sure he had moments where he thought he'd never get out of there alive. I'm sure he had moments where he just wished that he could die. That was his trial. Not everyone is in a prisoner of war camp. But we all go through different things, and we go through different experiences uh, that, that we just don't want to go through. Now, here's the deal when you're a Christian. Everybody's going through something. But when you know Christ, and when Christ is in your life, and when he calls you to know him, The trials and the difficulties that we go through as Christians, those trials are not just random. Those trials are not just the luck of the draw. Those trials are not the result of just having a bad day. Those trials that come into our lives are sent by God. Uh, When we suffer as believers, we suffer on purpose for a reason. And God is attempting to do something in particular and specifically in our lives to develop us and to build our character. That's what he's doing. So so you know what? At times, 
we, we, God is hard on us at times. Now, we always talk about the love of God, and God is a loving God. Uh, there is no question about that. The, the, the love of God is, is beyond measure. You, you read about his love in, 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 in Psalm 103, what he has done for us, how he's taken away our sin as far as the east is from the west. Uh, he knows all of our needs. He knows what we go through. Uh, I mean, he is a gracious, loving, kind God, and he will always be that way to us. Uh, on your way to James 1, verse 12, and I know you're already there, flip over to Isaiah 46. Let me show you the love of God. Let, let me show you the consistent love of God. This is the old great hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. He doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His word doesn't change. Uh, he is reliable. He can be trusted. And, and in Isaiah 46, he makes an amazing statement about his love and about his care and about his provision. Isaiah 46, 3, he says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth. You have been carried and, and, and been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. I will bear you, and I will deliver you. That's better than any 401k you can get. That's better than any IRA. That's better than any piece of the rock. I'm sure you have a financial plan and you're working on it. That's great. But what happens if you lose it all? What happens if uh, the dive the stock market took yesterday? What happened today? Did it dive again or is it the same? It went up. It leveled off. Oh, good. We're okay now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you better have something better than the stock market you're trusting in. Because, you know... Um, so, now, Steve, I'm financially secure. Really? Well, if you think that, you're an idiot. I just say that in Christian love to you. <laughs> Nobody's financially secure. D do you know what? The things that we enjoy, our economy, our security, all that could be gone in an instant. In an instant. There is no security apart from the love of God and the provision of God. Look what he says. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth. In other words, I've taken care of you since you were born. And by the way, I put you together before you were born. That's Psalm 139. Uh, he says, and, and you've been carried from the womb. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, he says, I've carried you like a, like a son is carried by his father. Even, and this is great, look at this retirement plan. Even to your old age, I will be the same. My love isn't going to change, my provision isn't going to change, my promises aren't going to change. And even to your grain years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. That's a promise from Almighty God that you can live off of. So he is a loving God, and he is a gracious God, but... At times, he's hard on us because he's a good father. 
I saw a movie last week. Um, I think it's called Fighting the Giants. Is that the name of that movie? Facing, Facing the Giants. Yeah, I wasn't paying a lot of attention. <laughs> Facing the Giants. And it's a movie. It, it's a movie about uh, this coach in a small Christian high school in uh, Georgia. And the guy's been there about four or five years, and it's, the program's not doing well. And, the, and this year's really bad. It's really bad. And just before they start the season, before they start practice, his best player leaves and goes to another school. Yeah, and, and, and then you, you got, you got uh, parents meeting, and they're figuring out how to get another coach because it's, it's just not good. And uh, they lose their first three games. And that third game, they should have won because it's the worst team in the league. And they get beat by the worst team in the league. So that next week, this guy's just devastated. And uh, he's got this one kid who's, who's a big kid and a great prospect. But the kid's got a bad attitude. He's got a... Uh, uh, he expects to lose, and all the other guys look up to this guy, and he kind of sets the pace. And so after this loss, they're at practice, and he's talking to these kids, and he's talking to them about some things that the Lord basically encouraged him with out of the Scriptures. I mean, it's a blatantly Christian movie. Um, and as he's talking to these kids, he starts talking to them about giving it everything they have. And he starts talking to this one kid, because he's kind of smirking as the coach is talking, and he looks at him, this big kid and this leader who's not really given much effort. And he starts talking to him about giving everything he has. And he says, well, coach, I'm doing that. And he says, you're not doing that. He goes, no, I'm giving everything. He says, I don't think you are. And he says, no, coach, I'm giving everything I have. He says, well, why don't you come out here and show me? So they walk out on the field, and they're on the sideline. They walk on the field, and they do this drill called crabs. And if you remember crabs, um, you get in a four-point stance. And... Uh, so you might start at the goal line and go 20 yards on a four-point stance and then come back. But the way they do the drill is that uh, you do the crabs, you're in a four-point stance, but before you go the 20 yards, you take another player and put him on your back. And so he says to this kid, you're giving me your all. He said, I'm giving my all. He said, he said I want you to prove it to me. He said, I'll prove it to you. So he takes this kid, puts him on the goal line, and he gets another kid and puts him on his back. And then he says, you're going to give me your all. He says, I'm giving you my all. He says, okay. And he pulls out a handkerchief and he blindfolds the kid. He says, what are you doing? He says, give me your all. So he puts the kid on top of the other kid, and the kid's in a four-point stance. And he says, go. And so this guy starts going, you know. And uh, he goes, come on, come on, give me your all. Give me your all. And the kid starts sweating, you know, and, and uh and he goes 10 yards, and he goes about 20 yards, and then he says, come on, give me your all. And the guy, and the kid's going, you know, it's, it's, it. and he says, come on, come on, give me your all, give me your all. The kid can't see where he is. Come on, you said you'd give me your all. And the guy wants to, come on, come on, come on, come on. And this kid keeps going, and he wants to quit. And, no, don't quit, give me, you said all, you said all, you said all. And this kid keeps going, and he's dying, he starts shaking. You can see his hands trembling. And you, and you can just see the sweat pouring out of the helmet. Come on, give me, give me 20 more feet, give me. And finally, this kid gives me five more steps, five more steps, and this kid just collapses. And he starts, and he's sobbing, he's sobbing. And the coach comes over to him, grabs him, and the kid's saying, I can't give you more, I can't. He's just sobbing uncontrollably, and he says, look up, and he takes the handkerchief off, and he's in the other end zone. Went 100 yards with that kid on his back. Didn't think he could do it. 
And what happened was, because that coach was hard on that kid, he realized, he realized he had potential that he had no idea. And it changed his whole perspective. And the other guys on the team were watching what was going on. And what it did was it turned that whole team around. And they went undefeated for the rest of the season. It, it, it was quite a moment. But, but what had to happen, that kid needed someone to love him enough to be hard on him, to get out of him everything that was there so that he could reach his potential. Now, you know what? That's what God does with us. That's exactly what he does with us. Is he hard on us? Yeah, he's hard on us. And sometimes we, we wish he'd give us a break and we wish he'd back off and he'd give us some relief, but he doesn't do it. Why is that? Because, because he wants to develop something in us that can't be developed any other way. Now, with that in mind, James chapter 1, verse 12. We're wrapping up this section on trials before we go into temptations. James 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is a man who doesn't experience trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's what I wish it said. Don't you wish sometimes that you could edit the Bible? I do. But you see, guys, the problem is this isn't Microsoft Word. This is the Word. And you don't alter it, and you don't change it, and you don't highlight it and hit the delete key. You just got to take it for what it says. So here's what it says. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. In other words, blessed is the man who hangs in there under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There will be a day when there are no more trials. There will be a day when there's no more pain. There will be a, a, a day when there's no more disappointment. Uh, th that's coming, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be wonderful. And our buddy Lance Dobbins is there right now. Lance was sitting back here for years in our study. And you guys that know Lance, you know that he went to be with the Lord just before Christmas. And boy, Lance was going through, that cancer was just eating him alive. And a lot of you guys know the story, and you knew Lance and what he was going through. And uh, because Bob called me and told me that he was right at the tail end, I, I was able to see him just two days before he died. And uh, that was a great privilege, and we had a great talk. And uh, I Bob, didn't you tell me, Bob, that like for nine or ten days, he wasn't able to get anything down except like a banana or something in ten days? I mean, he just had nothing on it. He was just, he was out of gas. And, and, and we talked about that. And, uh, you know, it's a little scary to think about dying, especially when, it's, when you're right at the door. I don't care who you are. Because it's, I mean, we know the scriptures and all that, but it's still, there's a little fear there. If there wasn't a little fear, we wouldn't be human. So we talked about the promises of God, and as we were talking, I said, I said, you know, Lance, you know what's really wild? I said, you're about to have the greatest thrill of your whole life. Can you imagine uh, being with Jesus? Can you imagine that? I mean, does, does that not seem so far off? 
But, you know, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's where Lance is right now. He's with Christ. Pain-free. Uh, he's doing really well. Don't you think? Yeah. And one day, we're all going to be doing really well. But right now, we're in this in-between thing where he is in the process of refining us and conforming us into the image of Christ. And the primary tool by which he does that are, are, are trials, which we don't want and we don't like, but that's where we are. But he says in, in 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, that's clearly what the scriptures teach. It... Uh, that crown of righteousness the scriptures talk about that we're going to receive. But in the interim, we're fighting the battle and we're fighting the good fight. This phrase, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, in the context of verse 12, he's talking about the fact that we will be released from trial when we die or when the Lord returns and we're in the presence of Christ. And boy, it's going to be great to be released from it. But... That, and that's the primary meaning, that's the primary interpretation. But as an application, as we are going through this life, we're going from faith to faith. We're going from trial to trial. The Christian life is not perpetual trial. There are times and there are seasons of blessing. There are times and season where, seasons where God is just gracious to us and things are going well and we're enjoying the favor of God. And some of you guys are there right now, and that's great. What a gift from God. And we just say, thank you, Lord, for this season. But, but we know, all of us in this room know that we probably have trials that are going to be coming our way before long because that's how the Lord continues the process of maturing us. He doesn't want us to stay static. He doesn't want us to stay neutral. He wants us to grow. And when a trial comes into our life, what it means is he's getting you ready to take you to the next level. And we say, I don't want to go to the next level. I like this level. Well, guess what? You've got no say in the matter. He has signed you up for this course, and you're going. And you're going through it. Yeah, but I don't. Just how it works, isn't it? how it works. Uh, if I were translating uh, James 1.12, I would just basically say, blessed is he who hangs in there in the midst of trial. We get tired of being in the trial. We, 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 get, uh, we get weary of being in the trial. We, we, we get tired of just dealing with the fallout. We, we, just, we just want it to be over. Why is he so hard on us? It's because he is trying to develop muscle. It's because he's trying to develop uh, a, a maturity level that isn't there right now, but that needs to be there. If you're serious about Christ, at some point in your life, you have prayed and you've asked God to use you. Yeah, you don't want to waste your life. I don't want to waste my life. Uh, I would like to be used by God. You would like to be used by God. The moment you say, God, use me, 
you have basically just signed off on the whole process of trials. Because that's how God prepares us so that he can use us. Uh, when, when I was a young guy out of college and I was going to go to seminary, I had this idea, if I went to seminary and took all those courses and learned all that stuff, that going to seminary would equip me for ministry. And you know what I found out? And if you're going to teach, there are some things you need to know and how to interpret the scriptures and all that. I'm not dismissing that. You understand that. Uh, but, but you know what I found out? And a lot of guys have found this out. A, a, de a degree from a theological seminary doesn't equip you for ministry. You know what equips you for ministry? Suffering. Suffering equips you for ministry. Trials equip you for ministry. What's the old line? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I remember as a young rookie pastor, people coming in my office, and they wanted to talk to me about depression. I didn't know anything about depression. I've really never been depressed. I mean, except on Sunday after a bad message. But I'd watch Monday Night Football and I'd snap right out of it. <laughs> and so these people that would come in to talk with me about depression, and I mean they—they they were—I mean clinically depressed. Look at that. Just, just, just. It was an effort for them to get out of bed that morning. They were so. I had no clue what they were dealing with. I didn't have a clue. I had no concept. And and basically, I would look at them and I I would feel bad for them. But my thought was, you know. I mean, you just need to suck it up and get with it. That wasn't real helpful to those people. <laughs> and I noticed that they rarely ever came back. <clears throat> and they were very wise because I had nothing to say to them because I had never been where they were. But three years later, I was where they were. And it took me two and a half years to get out of it. And suddenly I had a completely different perspective on people in depression than I'd ever had before in my life because I was depressed and I couldn't get out of it. I mean, I just flat couldn't get out of it. It's tough stuff. Suffering equips you for ministry. So you know what's interesting? Sometimes I'm at a conference and I'll have a guy walk up to me, and the guy looks fine, he looks normal, and the guy will walk up to me, and he starts to say something, and he can't talk. He just chokes up. And you can see him fighting back tears. And he's kind of embarrassed. And I know exactly how he feels. Because I remember when I couldn't stop crying. I remember that period of my life where I would cry on the average of three to four hours a day, and I couldn't stop. And I'd never been that way in my life, and it scared me so bad, I thought I was going to wind up in an institution. I, I mean, I'd never ever dealt with depression. And I had some Christian counselors I'd send other people to go see. Of course, I'd never go see them. 
Why would I go see a Christian counselor? I've been to seminary. And I remember the day that I was pouring apple juice for Josh in his high chair. And I spilled the apple juice and I started crying. That, that's, that scared the Gehenna out of me, if you know the biblical term. I thought, I'm losing my mind. And you know what? Mary looked at me, and I, I won't go into all the stuff that was going on, but you know what? God had signed me up for some courses I had no interest in taking. And by the way, those courses, you can't take at Dallas Theological Seminary. You can't take them over at Southwestern. You can't take them anywhere. But he often signs his men up for those courses. And I remember she said, Steve, you need to go see Sonny. And I said, I do. And he was a Christian counselor, great guy that I would send other people to go see. And I went over to see him. And I walked in, and I started crying. And he says, well, so what's wrong, Steve? And I said, well, I'm, I think I'm losing my mind. And I, and I cry about three to four hours a day, and I can't stop. And he goes, yeah. He said, well, here's what's going on with you. He said, you've had all this loss. And you had all these high goals, and they didn't happen, and you're real result-oriented, and you're real driven. And uh, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and that's why you, depression, unless it's for physical reasons, is from loss, and that's what's going on. I said, well, I'm crying all the time. I said, I'm, I, I'm afraid I'm going to go in a mental institution. He goes, oh, no, you're fine. I, I said, I'm fine? He goes, you're fine, yeah. I, I, he said, no, I know you're hurting. I don't, I'm not just missing that. But he says, he says uh, on, you're going through a moderate depression. I said, moderate depression. He goes, well, yeah. I said, how is this moderate, Sonny? He says, he said, are you able to get out of bed in the morning? I said, yeah. He said, it's moderate. He said, I have people, I have people Steve, they can't get out of bed. And they haven't been out of bed in weeks except to go to the bathroom. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I can't stop crying. He said, yeah. He said, I know. He said, that's good you're doing that. I said, what do you mean? I, I, I can't stop doing it. He goes, oh, it's kind of a cleansing thing, actually. It's either that or you just stuff it in, you get ulcers and all these diseases. He says, God, you know, gave you those tear ducts. He just didn't give those to women. I'd never thought about that before. <laughs> women have breasts, and men have breasts, but a woman's breasts are different than a man's breasts. Have you picked up on this yet? <laughs> but women have tear ducts, but... Men have tear ducts, and they're just like the tear ducts in a woman. But isn't it interesting that we're always telling kids, boys, not to cry? I remember when I got in that baseball game, and I got, um, I remember when I was a catcher, and I remember when I took my mask off on a play, and, I, you know, long story short, I got hit in the face with a baseball bat. I'm telling you, it really hurt. And this coach ran up to me, and the first thing he said was, don't cry. I said, what? Why don't I hit you in the face with this bat, and let's see you not cry, man. <laughs> so I was embarrassed, and I was humiliated, and I didn't want to be that way. And I remember Sonny, I said, you know, Sonny, I can't stop this. And he said, well, you know what? He said, It'll, it's going to go away. I said, really? He goes, yeah. 
I said, like, when will it go away? He said, oh, it's going to take you a while. And this was like February. And uh, you know what my goal was? My goal was by July 4th to have a day where I didn't cry. That's how bad I was. And uh, I remember sitting at stoplights and looking around at people, and they weren't crying. And can I be honest with you guys? The, the reason I was really grieving and crying is that I was really convinced that God would never use me. I mean, I was absolutely convinced in my heart that he had never used me. But what I didn't know was, what I didn't know, see, because see, I'd had a, my first church, it was kind of a growing church and in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, which is not the Bible Belt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was, anyway. But man, you know what? I, uh, I was really kind of driven, and I really wanted to see that thing grow. And I put all my energy into it. And it just, it didn't quite grow the way, it was growing, but it didn't grow the way I wanted it to. And uh, there were a lot of disappointments and, you know, I was always getting ahead of the Lord and I had all these grandiose plans and they weren't happening and, you know, and it was really devastating to me. And uh, my tendency has always been to get ahead of God. And that's what I was doing there. And I didn't, I didn't pray much, kind of in the car, you know, real quick. You know, here's my three-year plan, Lord, just bless it. So you know what he had to do? He had to blindfold me and put me on the goal line and strap some burdens on my back. And he had to push me and he had to get hard on me. And he broke me down. And see, what, what depressed me so deeply was that, and because I got ahead of him and I left that church thinking I was going to another church that had greater potential, but that didn't happen, and it's a long story. Some of you guys, I've told you the story before. But I wound up in this little tiny church full of old people. I mean old. <laughs> they were sweet people, but they were old. And this was a landlocked church, and I could never grow it. I knew I'd never change it, and I never did. And what depressed me, see, and I know the deal. If you don't grow a church, you don't advance. And those people were very sweet and very gracious to me. But I would cry all the way up there on Sunday. And then I'd get up and say, praise God, how are you? It's good to see you this morning. <laughs> you know, oh, good to see you. How are you? Good. Oh, I'm great. Good, good. Really good. Great. And I'd get in the car and I'd cry all the way home. I hated being there. Those people were very sweet to me. I just didn't like being there because nothing was happening. So you see, the longer I was there, the more... By the way, I resolved, though, I resolved, you know, Lord, I'll never do anything to leave here, and I'll never put out a resume, and I'll never apply for another job. I need to learn to just submit and be still, and it killed me. It just killed me. But see, down, down deep, I thought God would never use me. What I didn't know was I was in the process because God wanted to use me. But I couldn't see that. 
So now one guy, some guy comes up to me at a conference, and the guy looks normal and everything, and he just starts crying. I, you know, I kind of understand where he is. But if I'd never been through that, I wouldn't have a clue. wouldn't have a clue. You know what's funny? None of that is in my notes. <laughs> I got all this other really good stuff. I mean, I think it's pretty good. You know, usually when something like that happens, there's a reason for it. And I don't have a word from the Lord, uh, but as I kind of read the scriptures, it appears to me that when God does something like that, it's because there's somebody here who's right there. And you pretty much think you're done, and you pretty much think you're toast, and you pretty much think you're finished. So what you need to know is, he wouldn't be taking this much time with you if he didn't have something in mind for you. And you think there's no way out? I'm telling you there's a way out. He's always got a way out. But you've got to go through the trials. And you've got to go through the hardships. Just before I went through that time, I remember having a uh, lunch with a friend of mine. We'd been through seminary together. And we were having lunch. And uh, as we were having lunch, he brought up uh, this saying that A.W. Tozer had said. A.W. Tozer said, uh, uh, God will never use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And we were talking about that. And I remember sitting there at his table, and he brought up that quote. And I was familiar with it. And I remember saying, yeah, I'm not sure I'd buy that. <laughs> Gosh, what an idiot. I mean, I was just asking for it. I'm just asking for it. Now, I don't know about being used greatly, but I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you this. He'll hurt you deeply. And why will he do it? Why will he do it? Because he wants to do something in my life. He wants to take me to a level, and I'm not there. So he's going to use trials, and he's going to use difficulty, and he's going to use pain. That's why we've been spending so much time on this, guys. Uh, I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this section on trials in James. Warren Wearsby says, when you trust God, now catch this, when you trust God, trials work for you and not against you. But be sure your heart is wholly yielded to him. If your heart and mind are divided, trials will tear you apart. When I went through that time, I remember saying to Mary, in fact, we would pray this. Uh, oh, you know what was interesting? Mary was great. She was great to me. You know why she was great? Uh, I, I have no idea why I'm going into this story. <laughs> but I'm going to tell it. You, you know, I'd come home, and I would be so depressed um, 
this little church that I was in, the previous pastor had uh, run off with some guy in the choir. And the guy before him had taken 30,000 bucks out of the till. So if uh, I didn't commit adultery and I didn't steal money, they were real happy with me. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those deals you really couldn't lose. And I really wasn't at the top of my game, but they, were, they thought things were going pretty well. Did he steal anything this week? No. Oh, well, good. He can't preach for a while, but he's not a thief. I mean, at least not yet he's not. I mean, we'll watch him carefully. Yeah. Uh, that's where I was. And it was just real hard on me. There wasn't much to do. There wasn't much. There wasn't any challenge, and I wanted challenge, and I wanted, you know, to climb mountains. There was, there was nothing to climb, and there was nothing to change. I did no counseling. Because if you've been married 60 years and you got a bad marriage, you're not coming in for counseling. <laughs> right? I mean, you're just waiting to die. I mean, you know. There was nothing to do. There was nothing to do. And I would get so, I'd come home. And you know what was really great? This is the goodness of God. Uh, Mary understood what I was going through. And the reason she was such a help to me is that when she was a senior in college, she went through a depression because of some stuff that occurred in her life. And do you know what? Because of what she had been through, she understood what I was going through, and she was an encouragement to me, and she helped me. And what a gift that was from God. But as she said, I never could have done that if God hadn't been gracious enough to take me through what I went through. Now, did she want to go through that? No. But did she know that one day we'd meet and get married and I'd be all messed up and couldn't figure things out? And she knew exactly what I was dealing with. What a gift from God in that situation. I think we said this last week, and I want to say it again. God works strangely. Doesn't he? He works so strangely. But this is the method you see in Scripture. This is how he works. He, he uses the thing we don't want to give us what we do want. He, he uses adversity and hardship and difficulty in order to to mature us and use us. There's nothing greater in the world than being able to minister to someone. But the path to being able to minister to someone is to know the suffering that individual's going through. And if you've never been there, so, so why are so many people being ministered to as they read Paul's book? Because you've got people that are going through stuff that Paul has been through and is going through. You see? But Paul couldn't touch people that have got those kinds of illnesses if Paul had never been there. Not, he can't, you can't touch them like that if you've never been there. See, God works strangely. Strangely. Even in life, you see this principle lived out. Uh, 
read this little book by Michael Lewis called Coach. This is an interesting little book, and I'll tell you why it's interesting. Michael Lewis is a writer. He's, he's written some pretty good stuff. He was a stockbroker in New York, and uh, I, I, he's a top-notch writer. Not a believer, but uh, just a darn good writer. Uh, he wrote this book because uh, he grew up in New Orleans, went to a uh, private school in New Orleans, and uh, uh, several years ago, uh, a bunch of guys that had gone to this school and had played baseball, uh, and it had a great season, uh, they decided, uh, it turns out this school, they needed a new gym. So a couple guys that lived in New Orleans started emailing a bunch of guys, and they decided, hey, let's help build a new gym, let's raise some money, and let's name it after our coach. Coach Fitz. And, man, everybody thought, that's great. Let's name it after Coach Fitz. So, you know, these guys love this coach. Now, this guy was a tough coach. He was hard on them. But, man, he, and this whole story is about guys who played for this coach and about how he turned them from boys into men. Uh, in here, he has a story about uh, when, when they jumped uh, to the next classification up. And they were having a horrible season, and they were losing every game, and they were losing every game. And there was one game they almost won. But as this kid is coming around, as this kid is coming around, uh, second, he's coming to third, he decides he's going to go in the score. But Coach Fitt gave him the sign to slide, but he didn't slide. And he went ahead and tried to score, and he got thrown out. It was the end of the game, and they lost the game. Coach Fitz didn't say anything on the bus back, but when they got to school, and the guys went in the locker room, tear off their... Uniforms, he said, uh-uh, we're going outside. And it was about 9 o'clock at night. And as Michael Lewis describes it, uh, their field out there was a combination of uh, uh, concrete and lava. <laughs> and they did sliding drills for about two hours until guys were crying. And they were bleeding from the knees. But that night, they learned that when Coach Fitz gave the slide sign, uh, you slid. That was real important. Finally, he said, let's go in the locker room. They started to peel off their uniforms so they could throw them in the laundry. He said, we're not washing these uniforms. We're not washing these uniforms until we win a game. And they couldn't believe it. And they played a game and two games and three games and four and five and six and seven. And he said, we'd show up and these people would look at us. The other parents would look at us like we were uh, from this county jail on a work, work squad. <laughs> and we didn't wash our uniforms until we won a game. And we weren't supposed to win a game. But he said, I'll tell you what, the day we won that game was the greatest day of our lives. Because we did something we thought we weren't able to do. Uh, you know what was interesting? He was so excited about building the gym, he decided to take a trip to New Orleans to see Coach Fitz. He went down there, and Coach Fitz had been coached there for 35 years. And uh, all the former players loved the guy. They're going to build a gym, put his name on it. You know when he, when he got down there, you know what he found out? There was a movement of all the parents to fire Coach Fitz. I mean, there was an insurrection. It was strong. And you know why there was an insurrection? Because these modern-day parents felt that Coach Fitz was being too hard on their kids. They'd call him, and you're not playing my son, and you're hurting his self-esteem, and, you know, how is he going to get a scholarship if you won't play him? And, I mean, it was huge. And, and that's what this book about, is about. 
It's about parents that are trying to fire a coach because of what, how he's handling their sons, yet you got the previous generations wanting to build a building to the guy and put his name on it. One of Coach Fitz's players that he kicked off the team was a kid named Peyton Manning. <laughs> Give me a second here. One of the disgruntled fathers that he interviewed said, this guy's always been difficult. This guy's always been a jerk. In fact, Peyton wrote it in his book. So Michael Lewis looked it up. And here's what Peyton Manning said in his book. One of the things I had to learn growing up was toughness because it doesn't seem to be something you can count on being born with. Dad says he may have told me, Peyton, you have to stand up for this or that, but the resolve that gets it done is something you probably have to appreciate at first in others. Coach, uh, Coach Fitz was a major source for mine, and I'm grateful. Michael Lewis says, you should never trust a memoir. So I called uh, Peyton's dad. I called Archie Manning. And uh, Archie laughed and said, you know, Fitz and Peyton had their issues. But I have a theory. The reason they locked horns is that they are exactly alike. Peyton is just as intense as uh, Fitz is. But you should call Peyton and hear what he has to say. Uh, so he called Peyton. Here's what Peyton said. As far as the respect and admiration I feel for the man, I couldn't put it in the words. Now, this is the coach who kicked him off the team. Just incredibly strong feelings. For me personally, he prepared me for so much of what I faced at the college and pro level. Unlike some coaches for whom it's all about winning and losing, Coach Fitz was trying to make men out of boys. I think he prepares you for life. And if you want my opinion, the people who are screwing up high school sports are the parents. The parents who want their kids to be the next Michael Jordan or the parent who beats up the coach or gets into a fight in the stands. Here's a coach who was so intense Yet he never laid a hand on anybody. And it was true. Fitz never laid a hand on anyone. He didn't need to. He had other ways of getting our attention. <laughs> it's a great line. Well, you know, guys, God has ways of getting our attention. And he uses trials. I'm about out of time. Turn with me quickly to Job chapter 23. Job 23, Job pretty much sums up what we're talking about. If anybody knew about trials, if anybody knew about suffering, it was Job. And the guys who are going through it, and the guys who are brokenhearted, and the guys that are under great intense pressure, they always turn to Job. In Job chapter 23, some of this is going to resonate with you perhaps. In Job 23, verse 3, because you see, here's what happens. Sometimes you're in a trial, and the trial doesn't go away. And you pray, and you're trying to be obedient, and you're trying to listen to the scriptures, and you're trying to be teachable. And, and can I say this to you? When you go through a trial, back when I was going through that depression, I prayed two things. Consistently, Mary and I would pray these two things together. First of all, I would pray that God would teach me every lesson that he had for me in that depression. Don't let me miss anything. That was my prayer. Whatever you have to teach me, let me learn it. Because I don't want to go to summer school on this deal. 
I want to get this the first time around. I don't want to flunk this class. So you've got my full and undivided attention. The second thing we'd pray would be, Lord, in some way, in some time, would you use this so that we could minister to some other people? That was our prayer. So if that's where you are, see what Wearsby said, if you're in a trial, you've got to be wholly sold out to Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you like everything that's going on, but you can't be fighting him. And, and listen, if you're in a trial, you can't be screwing around with sin. You cannot be excusing sin in your life. You have to be seeking him. You, you guys get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying. He's looking for your heart. You can't be in habitual sin about which you are unrepentant. You're just asking for it. But if you want to grow and if you want to learn, you keep that teachable spirit. Now, here's what happens. You go in that, you go in that trial, it, it's not going away. It's a hardship. It's difficulty. It's sucking all your energy. You're not enjoying life. You're dreading life. It's just, it's, and you want it to be over. It's hellacious. It's hellacious. And sometimes, you know what happens? It seems like God abandons us. And sometimes it seems that God deserts us. And sometimes it seems that God has forgotten about us. In fact, is it Psalm 73 or Psalm 77 where, where he asked the question, has God forgotten how to be gracious? Sometimes it seems like he has forgotten. That's where Job is. Now watch this, Job 23.3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. This was a righteous man. This was the most righteous man there was. This was a godly man. This was a man who said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not gaze upon a young woman in lust. This was a good, godly, righteous man that was suffering, and he couldn't figure it out. If there's any way I could stand before him, I'd give him my arguments and reasons why I shouldn't be going through this. Look at verse 8. He said, and and the, the despair in these words... Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Uh, And backward, and I can't perceive him. If I go ahead, he's not there. If I go back up, I can't see him. Uh, When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I can't see him. In other words, there is no evidence whatsoever that God is in my life right now as I'm going through this trial. That's how he felt. That's how some of you feel. But watch this, verse 10. But he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's it. You're going through the trial, and you're being refined so that you can come forth as gold. And there's only one way to get gold. And that's to mine it, and that's to refine it, and that's to run it through the fire. That's why we go through trials. So this is why we've spent five or six weeks on this. Because it's tough stuff, and it's hard stuff. 
But he knows, hey guys, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And you won't always be there. You say, well, Steve, how do you know I won't be there? Well, because it's, he, he, he takes you through it. He took Joseph through it, and then he brought Joseph out. You say, well, wait a minute. What, what about Lance? Lance died. Yeah, Lance is not going through the trial anymore. Well, you know, we, we prayed for Lance's healing. Well, guess what? Lance got healed. Well, that's not what I meant. Fine. You want to argue with Lance right now? Do you, you think Lance has got any complaints right now? He'd say, you're out of your mind, man. God works strangely, but he works wisely. So let's bow our heads and pray. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. This stuff is not easy. This stuff is hard. Nobody in their right mind would sign up for this stuff. We run from it. It's the last thing we'd ever want to have happen in our life. Hardships, trials. But for some reason, Lord, in your toolbox, it's what you've chosen to use to make us into your men. Uh, You're not trying to ruin us. You're trying to rebuild us. Uh, We have prayed and asked that you might use us, and this is the process by which you do that. So for the guys that are right in the thick of it, the guys that are right in the middle, the guys that are really worn out, encourage them tonight. Let them know that you're with them. And Lord, I'd pray that you'd do something for them. Do something for them in the next 24 hours to let them know. Just kind of shock them. Just come out of the blue with something. If you might be so gracious to do that. Just to give them a strong shot of encouragement. Kind of a B12 shot of hope. That would be our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.